Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast, where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I take full responsibility for everything this government has been doing in tackling coronavirus, and I'm very proud of our record. Tens of thousands of our citizens have died avoidably. These were unnecessary deaths because of systematic government misconduct. With good British common sense, we will continue to defeat this virus and take this country forward. There are a lot of green shoots of opportunity on the horizon. You know, we've been held down on the forest floor for far too long, and we will reach that canopy again. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Salik. Good afternoon. I'm Caroline Hepker. Well, where else do we begin but with Brexit? Again, the Foreign Secretary says that there's still reason to continue trade talks with the European Union. Now, yesterday, the Prime Minister suggested that a firm decision should be taken at the end of the week about whether they can resolve their differences. So, Seb, the new deadline is Sunday. Yep, another deadline. Is it real? Who knows? Even Dominic Raab isn't sure. He says it's unlikely negotiations will continue beyond Sunday, but isn't ruling it out. He says an agreement can be reached if the EU doesn't make unreasonable demands. We're not going to sacrifice the basic points of democratic principle on fisheries, on control over our laws as we leave the transition period. And I I think it's important that that that's uh, recognised Uh, on the EU side. And if they do, I think the scope for a deal is still there to be done. So that is uh, Dominic Raab there, fighting talk from the Foreign Secretary. Let's talk about this with Leila Moran. She's a Liberal Democrat MP and the party's spokesperson for foreign affairs. Leila, good to have you. I want to bring to your attention uh, a line we got from Andrew Bridgen, the Conservative MP who spoke to Bloomberg earlier. This is what he said. He said, the patient is on life support and no one wants to be the one that switches the machine off. I I want to get your take on that first off. Well, I, I wonder who he's talking about. I have to say, as a, a thing to say in the middle of a global pandemic, when there are tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people at risk in this country, I think that's pretty bad, the comment. Um, and of course, the two are linked. Uh, we've got businesses on their knees. I've got local constituents, business owners contacting me saying that if we get a no deal Brexit, in addition to everything that they've had to deal with over the last months they are looking at mass redundancy um i think it is absolutely right that the government seeks a deal and at this point we know it's not going to be a good deal i think that ship sailed a long time ago um but to leave with no deal is beyond uh comprehensible i don't understand how they could do that to this country after everything that has been said and done Uh, It is in the worst, worst possible interests of this country. So I do think a deal is going to be done. Uh, I think uh, to let go is not an option. And if that means that this government needs to extend its deadline, I think it actually also needs to be quite pragmatic. It seems to want to have its cake and eat it. On the one hand, Mm -hmm. uh, trade as if it were uh, a country like uh, who doesn't have a trade deal. The way trade deals work, whether they be bilateral or multilateral, is you sit around a table, you work out, you negotiate, you compromise. There are things that you give up and there are things that you gain. And overall, the point about 
trade deals is that everyone gains at the end of it. I I think actually at this point it is Britain that needs to take a hard look at itself, uh, Boris Johnson in particular, uh, and realise that this is in the interest of our country to get a deal. Okay, so then what should Boris Johnson be compromising on? Is it sovereignty, the idea of obeying EU rules? I mean, that's the issue, uh, you know, and in some senses one can understand that. Um, what is the point of leaving if you then are obeying uh, EU rules um, onwards? What is yeah, the ideal outcome say, in terms of compromise? You say, you say obeying EU rules. Well, first of all, these EU rules were ones that we helped to craft when we were very much part at the centre of creating these so-called rules. And what we're talking about here are environmental standards. We're talking about animal welfare. We're talking about workers' rights. So the question that whenever this gets raised by government is you then ask, well, which ones do you intend to deviate from? Is it going to be a race to the bottom? And given that the EU, and I think at this point, given the shenanigans that we've seen with the internal market bill that rode roughshod over Britain's international obligations, to suggest that Boris Johnson went there last night uh, and was trying to convince Ursula van der Leyen that he was negotiating in good faith after everything that uh, this government has done, I don't blame the European Union for being sceptical about his motivations. So I think it's absolutely right that we maintain animal welfare standards and environmental standards and workers' rights. And I think those level playing field arrangements are very, very important, not least because I think the British people, when they actually uh, examine what that actually means, would want. Yeah, uh, but ultimately you say you think we will get a deal. The issue, though, is even if we got one today, that doesn't leave a lot of time before the 31st to scrutinise it properly. What happens here? Should MPs sit through Christmas to get this done? Absolutely. And I've I've said, I mean, I've, you know, all of us uh, are, like everyone else in the country, utterly fed up with coronavirus and and all of us have our issues at home, but actually our jobs are to scrutinise this. Absolutely, we need... Uh, to sit through Christmas uh, to do it if we get a deal. And I sincerely hope, and I repeat, uh, that they do. Um, But it also shouldn't have got to this point. And in many ways, the damage is is already being done. I've got businesses asking me for help. Which set of rules is it that I prepare for uh, on the 31st? We've got less than four weeks to go. And what the Liberal Democrats are arguing for at this stage is whatever happens, an adjustment period um, for businesses who are going through this pandemic, you know, as we speak, this vaccine's here, hurrah, But it's going to take many months still if we even get to herd immunity, but certainly to the point where we're we're getting back to normal. Businesses need to know that it's not going to be turning on a pin. And forget Parliament, it's businesses that I'm worried about right now uh, and being able to react to whatever they bring back. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so there are, in that case, lots of calls for stimulus. So I was um, speaking to the Federation of Small Businesses a few days ago. They were talking about getting grants for businesses to tide them over. Um, mm-hmm. £3,000, so not huge sums. But on the other hand, given the amount of spending that the government is doing because of the pandemic, is it realistic that we're going to get any extra support for businesses if there are costs attached to Brexit? I don't know. Um, I I know uh, and I sincerely hope uh, that the Treasury are are live to the issues of business. I think they are uh, worried as much as as we are uh, about the numbers of particularly small businesses who have been just coping. I mean, when the business is not sure because of the pandemic if it's going to survive to the end of the year, um, to what extent have they been able, uh, with putting people on furlough and everything else, to dedicate that staff time to preparing for an EU exit 
Uh, they don't even know which rules it is that they're following. In Oxfordshire, our local enterprise partnership has been advising businesses that they need to be preparing for WTO rules, and that's huge amounts of red tape. Uh, and for many of them, they have been trying, they've been doing their best, um, but this is why an adjustment period is so necessary. And uh, just as another concern around that, I am also concerned that the cost of Brexit to this country, whether it be that whatever deal they strike, and as I say, I'm not enthusiastic about whatever is coming back. I don't think it's uh, the best deal we could have got, but here we are. Certainly better than no deal, which would be even worse. But all of these uh, consequences are going to be hidden by the pandemic. And I think the government needs to be very honest with people. Yeah. There are two big crises here. They compound, and in many ways, one makes the other much, much worse to deal with. Council um, leaders, for example, have been talking to me about their staff have had to deal with both the pandemic and Brexit. And if a no-deal Brexit happens or a bad-deal Brexit happens, then their staff are going to be tied up dealing with that at the same time as being asked to roll out a max vaccination programme with the local NHS Trust. We have a well, finite number of people who are able to do this in the country and they're being pulled in too many different directions. Something at some point has to give. Let, let's look to the future then, because uh, just over a year ago, you were campaigning vociferously to stay in the EU. We are now leaving. Do you see a future where the Liberal Democrats lead a campaign to rejoin? What we um, have spoken about, and believe me, I mean, I, uh, I hope it's patently obvious. I wish we weren't here. And as you rightly point out, uh, we tried to stop Brexit, but we accept uh, that we didn't get what we wanted. And so actually, we have to make the best of where we are right now. I know that the Liberal Democrats in our heart are internationalists. One day, and it may well not be in my lifetime, I know that the interests of this country lie with that close relationship with the European Union. I personally would like to see us rejoin, but I also don't think it's going to be any time soon. We've got big issues to deal with first, and that is very much what our conference policy that was passed in September said. Not now, but we certainly aren't. Uh, giving up that fight for the much longer term. Yeah, OK, well, that is the very much longer term, I do hope. Uh, let's mm. also talk about the virus, though, um, Leila. Do you think that the UK jumped the gun in approving the Pfizer-BioNTech jab before even Germany and the US, um, you know, the, the base, the home bases of those two um, businesses approved the jab? I mean, we've obviously been under a lot of pressure to get it done. So I lead the all-party group on coronavirus in the House. We released our interim report last week, and so we've been examining uh, this question and the issue of vaccination uh, over the last uh, week or so. I am convinced, as are many of the scientists involved who have looked at this quite closely, who are, who are you know, close to these decisions, um, the way that this was set up is actually about innovation in the process of looking at these vaccines. It has not compromised safety. I do not believe they have jumped the gun. Um, and I do believe the MHRA when they say it is safe. And that is critically important to get across to people. Um, no shortcuts have been taken here. They've just managed to do it better and quicker. We've seen this happen in all sorts of industries across the world. It sometimes takes a crisis for us to smooth out processes so this happens. Um, and as a result, we need people to have faith that this vaccine is safe and that they should take it. Because if we're going to get yeah. to 80 or 90% in the population, the thing that's going to stop us from seeing the end of this pandemic are people going, oh, I'm not so sure. 
So I am sure I will be taking it when my turn comes. And I'm relatively young, so I appreciate that that might be sometime in the second half of next year. <laughs> and that's fine. But I, if my nan got a, a letter saying that she should take it, I would yeah. ask her to take it. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. Let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics. Callum, we start with uh, some forecasts and some data. Yeah, absolutely. The GDP number, OK, it's backward looking data, but it's still not uh, that great. Uh, it shows a sla- sharp slowdown rather in the recovery in October. So the GDP number that we got out this morning, 0.4% gain uh, for the economy in October. That was down from what we saw in September, which was a 1.1% rise. Why? Well, obviously measures to control the pandemic hurt the economy, shuttered businesses. The other problem is that although uh, the number for October was better, better than economists had expected. They were forecasting 0% growth. Actually, um, the reading is uh, concerning, really, because we could see worse to come in November, where you had, obviously, the whole of England placed into a second lockdown. Yeah, and I saw some research from the CBI, the Confederation Mm. of British Industry, uh, saying that we could be looking at a recovery around the end of 2022, which struck me as slightly more optimistic than others. It is still a long way away, though, isn't it? It's a long time to get through before we start to see those shoots of growth. Meanwhile, we've got this story brewing in The Times, which reports that lawyers acting on behalf of senior civil servants have issued a pre-action notice to Downing Street. This is all around Priti Patel, the bullying claims there, and the Prime Minister's decision, really, to clear her of those. So if the challenge succeeds, then Boris Johnson's decision could be struck down, which would have... Big implications for ministerial accountability, at least according to this report. But really, it is quite a significant thing to stand by your Home Secretary after things like this. Um, And it's not always something that goes away overnight. It does stick around, as we've learned with Dominic Cummings. Yeah, indeed. Could this uh, be something to come back uh, to bite the government in 2021? Let's see. Um, Well, back to... Brexit, can I for a moment? Uh, And the issue with ports and British trading. Labour is calling on the government to tackle congestion at UK ports amid repeated warnings now from companies over issues linked to Brexit, but also, of course, compounded by the pandemic. Ian Hampton is the executive director of the ferry operator Stenner Line, uh, and he says that the ports have been a lot busier than usual some 19% of an increase on goods compared to 2019 across the Irish Sea particularly, but also in the the North Sea routes. We believe this is as a result of stockpiling for Brexit, those companies being extremely prudent. So uh, the Department of Transport, though, says that it's working to resolve the challenges.
Yeah, the Brexiteers would tell you that it's only temporary. Only time will tell as to whether they're right. So that's a story you watch with much interest. And then even if we do get a deal, you've got politicians on both sides of the channel who are going to have to stick around, debate it, approve it. And to that end, MPs could be kept in Parliament until Christmas Eve to get this passed. The current plans are for the Commons to break up on the 21st of December for the festive period but speaker lindsay hoyle said he's prepared to keep politicians in westminster if necessary um i saw today that the last time the mp sat on christmas day was sometime in the 17th century i think maybe not a tradition we want to bring back no absolutely Layla moran who was speaking to earlier was sounding game uh, but i wonder yeah. if that will uh, really be true in practice let's see uh, should we bring in our next guest Yeah, absolutely. Let's because there's some interesting research going on. Cast your mind back, Caroline, to a year ago. We were in the dying throes of the 2019 election. We were days away Mm -hmm. from seeing the red wall crumble, a new uh, horde of Tories really taking charge in the North and the Midlands, a a, a trend we haven't seen for a long, long, long time. Um, The question, though, really is how solid is that one pandemic later, one year later? So for more on this, let's bring in James Johnson. He's senior advisor to Keck CNC is the co-founder of JL Partners. He's also a former special advisor to Prime Minister Theresa May, where he did her polling. James, talk to us about what you found here. How is the red wall looking after everything we've been through this year? Yeah, so we ran a a poll in those seats that um, the Conservatives gained from Labour in the North and the Midlands last year. Um, Now, last year, the Conservatives led by 48% to 39% in those seats, and that's pretty much been reversed now. So Labour are now leading by 47% to 41%. And what that means, if on a uniform swing, and not all elections work like that, but if we assume a uniform swing, then the Conservatives would lose all but nine of those seats. So, Mm. you know, we have seen this reversal happen in the Red Wall, and we've seen that in the polling lead nationally for the Conservatives as well. You know, their lead is down compared to a year ago. But that swing really seems to be coming in mm-hmm. in those northern and midland seats that the Conservatives gained for the last first time last year. And yet, Conservatives still fare better on certain issues, according to this polling that you've done, uh, namely on the economy and defence, which, to my mind, are pretty important issues. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think this sort of shows what's really going on here is not that people are saying, well, the Conservatives are doing a less good job on the economy or the Conservatives are doing a less good job on Brexit. They're actually sort of feeling that the Conservatives' values are perhaps out of sync with theirs. So, you know, in terms of whether people think that which parties stand up for people like them or share their values Mm. um, or stand up for the North and the Midlands, Labour has quite large leads. Now, in focus groups that I was running last year, those are the things the Conservatives were doing quite well on relative to Labour. So it seems that the events of this year, particularly uh, our poll found uh, confusion over coronavirus communications and also that ill-fated trip from Dominic Cummings to Barnard Castle, has underlined this sense perhaps for these voters um, that the Conservatives don't necessarily stand for them. So yeah, they, they may well be doing well on issues. But what really matters in elections is whether somebody feels like, is this party someone who will look out for my interests? And for the first time now in this parliament, voters in the Red Wall are questioning whether the Conservatives fulfil that that, that agenda. Okay, so they may be getting turned off the Conservatives. Are they getting turned on to Labour? It's a very different party, after all, from the one that they had the choice to vote for a year ago. Yeah, well, definitely the absence of Corbyn has has helped the Labour Party. It's um, shored its support up um, in that area. And Keir Starmer has a net positive rating. 
Um, but uh, you know there are still significant concerns about Labour in this in these seats. We asked people what their main hesitations were about voting for the Labour Party, um, and the economy is one of the main things. There's still that real concern about handling of the economy. In focus groups I do, people still talk about Gordon Brown and the debt and uh, the financial crisis back in 2008. So you know there are still those concerns about Labour handling. Uh, of finances, but also immigration as well is up there. You know, these voters in the red wall are particularly keen on seeing controls on immigration, and they doubt uh, Labour's commitment to that. So certainly good news for Labour, but it does rest. The other thing I would say is, you know, it does rest on this sort of these events that happened this year. It's not impossible to see in a few years' time, Barnard Castle, coronavirus pandemic, voters moving on from those two things. And actually, like I say, Labour is not in the strongest position to maintain this lead based on this polling. Hmm, that's interesting. How much people then, um, how much faith rather do people have in the levelling up uh, agenda? Because um, Boris Johnson and, and the government have made great sort of efforts to maintain that pledge, that uh, pledge that they made during the election. Yeah, they're not they're not that effusive uh, in praise on this one. I mean, this comes with the caveat that you know, voters rarely give governments much credit for, for things they're doing or have aimed to do. But when we asked, I mean, 62% in those seats said they weren't confident that the government would deliver on bringing the North and Midlands more in line with the South, East and London uh, by, by 2024. And that also applies to four in 10 of those people that voted Conservative uh, in those seats. So there are definitely concerns that that levelling up agenda hasn't been Felt. And certainly, again, in the focus groups I've done, it was very clear last year that that is one of the key metrics the Conservatives are going to be judged on. Have they actually delivered this, you know, more police, more NHS, transport improvements and improvements to the local area? So, so far, not, 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 not too impressed on, on that metric. Uh, and what about, I mean, I was interested that you mentioned Gordon Brown, how his legacy really is something that people think about. Bringing things more into the present, there was the whole Dominic Cummings issue. We're still, though, three years away from another general election, four years away even from another general election. That's a long time. I mean, obviously not something you can pull on, but from your anticipation, of your experience of working in the industry, how much do you anticipate that people will remember those events and vote based on them once they get into the polling booth at the next major election? Yeah, it's a difficult one because on the one hand, you can say, well, you know, of course, nobody's going to be thinking about Barnard Castle in 2024. And I think that's probably right. But of course, the reason these events have had impact is because, you know, it changes people's views of, of what the Conservative Party is, of who it stands up for. So even though people might not be thinking about those events, they may well uh, be have, have the sort of the values changed in the same way. But look, abs- you're absolutely right. There's loads to play for here. The interesting thing we saw in this finding is that although the Conservative vote share has gone down, the percentage of people who would consider voting for the Conservative Party is still quite high. So what we haven't seen in the last year, over the whole course of this pandemic, we haven't seen a sort of ERM moment for the Conservatives, you know, where, like in, 19, like in, like in uh, 1992, where, you know, their brand was wrecked really for good. Um, we are still seeing room. And we've also got Conservative politicians who rate quite well, particularly Rishi Sunak, who's really popular in the Red Wall. OK, um, look, I have to ask you, we've, we've spoken a lot about all the polling that you've done in the focus groups. And yet there is now, I, I believe, a widespread kind of issue with polling. Is there not in the UK? Is it trustworthy? Do people simply lie um, uh, or, or not speak to pollsters? How do you handle that? Yeah, well, certainly, uh, I mean, certainly the US election showed us there was a, a, a problem with, with polling in the US and we should definitely learn those lessons 
uh, in the UK, though it's worth saying that the 2019 election, actually, pollsters were were quite accurate at that election in, in, in the UK. But yeah, look, absolutely. Uh, you know, there's, there's clearly questions to ask about polling and certainly the pressure from my industry is to ensure we're not just burying those things and saying, oh, well, you know, let's not worry about them or trying to twist the figures to explain it. We need to go away and make sure we're always refining that. So that means really improving the samples, really make sure we're trying to reach the right people, doing this sort of j- j- localised polling like, like, like we've done in the... In, in the Red Wall, you know, not looking across the country as a whole, but zooming in on places. And the other really important thing that I've always found is doing focus groups alongside, actually having real face-to-face conversations or, at the moment, over yeah. Zoom, conversations with voters. Because if you look at the lockdown polling, for example, in the UK, if you just looked at the polling, you'd think everybody was absolutely really, really pro-more lockdown That's measures. Really interesting. But when you look yeah. people in the eye, they think very differently. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way. A brand new show from My Heart Podcast where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.